Welcome to the Totally Scottish Football Show. I'm Andrew Slavin, and if you like goals, we got those in Scotland this weekend. Late ones, thunderous ones, and symbolic ones as well. 20 goals in six Premiership matches, and it was Rangers versus Aberdeen which meant there were punches and penalties as well. It's all getting a bit much for McIntyre, while Hickenbottom wants the fourth official's teeth. In the SPFL, Peterhead are made to sweat, Stenny take a huge step, and we're embarking on the great escape as we check in at Albion Rovers later on the podcast. Alongside me in the studio, two journalists that don't try and escape or dodge any questions, including this one. How's it going, Kieran Canning of AFP? Not too bad. How's it going, JJ Bull of The Telegraph? Excellent. Superb. You know who also watched a lot of Scottish football this weekend? Big Davy Moyes. He was at Celtic, uh, then he was at St Mirren on Saturday, and then Rangers on Sunday. That's a lot of football. He's having a nice weekend with the lads, going out. Going with to the lads? S- yeah, he's going out to Sleazy's at, at night and having a nice good old time. Do you think he goes to nice and Sleazy's in Glasgow? Is that what he's in? I think he... I think that's his scene, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Maybe the garage afterwards. One pound... Um, White Russians. But he, he goes to the, the bit of the garage where they play like guitar music, not the pop section, R&B section. I, love- I, thought, I thought it'd be more like 90s because that's when he was at his best. Yeah. <laughs> I really like to imagine David Moyes in Nice and Sleazy's guzzling down £1.50 White Russians. Wearing full like padded jacket, standing yeah. silently at the bar looking at folk. Yeah. I think that's what he does. <laughs> well, we can't continue without discussing um, Fort William because... They only went and did a Panenka on Saturday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> did you see this? Yeah, I really like it. Yeah, so That's, the, he's our top scorer now with two goals. Yeah, so Scott season. Hunter, the captain. Uh, it was the last game of the season. It was class. A small act of defiance in the face of overwhelming despair. They lost 5-1. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, man. But he hit it really well. It's a really good Panenka. It is actually a really good he's Panenka. totally done the keeper. Yeah. Um, yeah, 5-1 at home to Wick Academy. Hey, but there's always next season. Well, are they going to start next season with any points deductions? I don't think they would. They've not played any ineligible players, to my knowledge, so far. So they should be all right. Bringing so- those two strands together, Fort William looked like they need a manager. Davy Moyes doesn't have a club. Oh, my God. I wonder how well he'd be able to do out of them. Because if the players aren't good enough, then that's just a thing. But what would happen if David Moyes actually was in charge of Fort William? They would uh, play out for comprehensive, heroic 3-0 defeats bet, rather than 7-1. I bet he could get them down from 5-1 losses to about 1-0 or 2-0 losses by, just by setting them up better. I bet but could, could he not like get some old legends? Could he like get Tim Cahill to come up? An old legend. <laughs> old, like old legends the Highlander from the David up. Moyes years. <laughs> Duncan Ferguson could probably still do, yeah. do a job in the Highland League. Yeah, why not? Uh, yeah. Alan Stubbs, get him out of retirement. Where's Stephen Pina? Onto a club with a slightly better record than Fort William, Celtic are just a point away from claiming their eighth title in a row after a 1-0 win over Kilmarnock at Celtic Park. But Saturday was also about honouring club legend Billy McNeil, the first British player to lift the European Cup, who passed away last week. We're joined now by our friend and Celtic fan Barca Jim. Jim, what did Billy McNeil mean to you? It's very difficult to put into words. There's been a lot written and a lot said and, and and by greater than me. But I'm old enough to remember him as a player. And my dad, who kind of formed many of my views, never rated him as a player. You know, I never thought he was that good. But despite that, I always remember my dad saying he's the greatest captain this club's ever had because he just had something about him that got these disparate characters I mean, Jock could do so much, but once they're in the park, I think they were Billy's, you know. Mm. Celtic were a top European side. You know, we went went to two finals and another two semi-finals of the European Cup in that nine-in-a-row era, you know, and that was with a change of, almost a change of team as well, except the constant throughout all that was pretty much Billy McNeil. And I, again, that that's a, that's a testament to him, but 
what I'd rather remember is that I've got three Celtic heroes. One's Tommy Burns, one's Joe McBride, and the other one's Billy. And it's more about the human beings that they were than the football players. It's a very important thing for me. I, I, I like my heroes to be heroes. And, and Billy absolutely fitted that bill. And obviously this is on a day when we record this, the passing of Steve Chalmers as well, which must have come of some sad news for you. It's Stevie, again, because of the way the lines made themselves available to people, again, I, was, I, I bumped into him a couple of times and he was just the loveliest of lovely men. It's more the personal thing for, for the families, you know, um, but at the end of the day, you know, Stevie scored the most important goal ever in the history of Scottish football, never mind Celtic, you know, at club level. And it's what puts Scottish football on the map mm-hmm. throughout Europe. And yeah, it's, 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 it's a tragedy. Yeah, absolutely. Billy McNeil being the captain of Celtic, first British team to win the Champions League, as it is now known. And Stevie Chalmers obviously scoring the winner in that game. Let's move on and talk about the game at the weekend. <laughs> what did you think of Celtic's performance? Was it fitting um, to send Billy McNeil off in that way? There was a fairy tale about it, you know, with the one goal getting scored by the number five with 67 minutes on the clock. You know, there's a kind of... I don't like to get too carried away with the kind of romance of things, but <laughs> I mean, I, I won't lie to you. I, I watched it in a, a pub in Manchester, and I was—I think it was only Celtic fan in it, and I absolutely went Raj when <laughs> Raj. <he> scored <laughs> because you know I, I'll be honest. It, It's—I I know it's eight points, I know it's it, but we've been so nervy for so many weeks that I just was starting to get that horrible feeling that. Another draw, you know, even a draw would would have people wobbling, and uh, just the sense of relief when it went in was was significant. Oh, that's all I'll say. Do you think Lennon's done enough to be given the job in the summer? No. Go on. <laughs> unless unless there's unless there's a significant, outstanding candidate, I think he has to. Now I know he's not everyone's cup of tea, but. The simple fact is, I, I think in some ways he got a poison chalice because what was he meant to do? He couldn't change Brendan's team too much. He couldn't change their, their style of play too much. There was a real sense, a shock round about the club when Brendan left. And I don't think the performances have been as bad as, as some would have you believe. I think one of the problems we've got is that the, with Lee Griffiths not been around, you know, we've got French Eddie who is effectively or goal-scoring threat. And people forget, he's still a kid. You know, we're not talking about a seasoned pro, 27, 28, who can carry that responsibility in his shoulders. He's a kid. And and he's he's going to make the mistakes that, that young players make and, and, and have the kind of hot and cold that young players make. Um, so not, unless there's a real outstanding candidate, nine in a row and ten in a row, it's going to be the only game in town for the next two years. And I think, Somebody that can understand the pressure needs to be at the helm of Celtic. Obviously, Celtic weren't at their best in this game, but they had plenty of chances. It's just a case of they really struggle to kill games off at the moment. Well, they're playing against teams like Killy, who are the best team in the league at stopping you from scoring against them. And as Steve Clark alluded to in his post match, they, they just fell asleep in the second phase of that one set piece. And it wasn't for that. They didn't lose the game. They were right in it. They had chances. I think Brophy, you know, it's easy to say this, right? when you've seen it, watched it on TV. But Brophy should have known that Ayer was coming to get him to, to slide in. If he's just done a little heel chop, if he's just done an overhead kick and boot in the top corner, but if he's just done a little heel chop or just dragged it, like faked a shoot and got in, he would have been clean through. Well, the, it's a little lack of composure. Yeah, Kelly, Kelly had maybe. their chances that they could have finished Celtic off as yeah, well. Yeah, in, in the first half, I mean, they had the penalty shout as well. Stephen O'Donnell, when, wasn't it? I mean, we'll come on to this, but when you see what was given oh, as a penalty, that's a penalty, yeah, McDonald's, as definitely. penalty, Ibrooks the next day, I mean, that was that was definitely a, a stronger claim for a penalty. Um, Scott Bain had another couple of couple of saves. Celtic just aren't. I mean, in terms of clean sheets, they've kept a, a fair number of uh, clean sheets, but a lot of the time that's been teams not going at them rather than necessarily defending particularly well, and they're really struggling to to break teams down. I mean, even I know JJ's saying like. Playing against Kilmarnock are one of the better defensive sides in the league, but struggled to score at Dundee in the one they'll win. Struggled to to break down Hearts in the Lennon's first game. 
Rangers with 10 men. Mm-hmm. The question of whether Lennon's done enough to get the job really depends on is there another candidate out there? Because based on the performances, at least, if not you know, the res- some of the results have been okay, he hasn't really convinced. But I think he's the man in possession and unless they can go and, and get someone who's patently a better candidate, maybe better, more European experience, then he's he's in line to get the job. Although coming back to what Barca Jim was saying, and there is a, a theory here that yes, you need someone in there who knows Scottish football and that gives Lennon an advantage. And using, for example, Ronnie Dyla as an example of where it can go wrong, you bring in someone from the outside and it's mm-hmm. an unknown, or a Paul Le Guin, who everyone thought would be a great appointment for Rangers back in the day. It didn't work out. But sometimes, especially with Lennon, someone's so emotionally involved, um, someone coming from the outside with that's not going to be so pulled in by the, the emotion and the tension of going for nine in a row and potentially ten. If you look at Celtic's history, like when, when Janssen came in mm-hmm. after Tommy Burns and someone that you know that outside influence sometimes works for the better. So who knows? <laughs> <laughs> there yeah. are a few managers in world football who wouldn't win the league with that Celtic team and the budget and the way they're already set up just now. I don't think it... Neil Lennon would win the league next season if he is in charge there. Coming back to that, I mean, Celtic are actually massively... We've talked about Celtic being so dominant in Scotland. If you look at European-wise, they're massively underachieving yeah. for their wage. But last season, and I know Ajax has spent a bit more this season with different contracts and stuff, last season Celtic's wage bill was bigger than Ajax's. And we were here a day ahead of Ajax playing in the Champions League semi-final. Do you know how much that is? What's the scale? More or less the same, but in pounds compared to euros. So yeah. I think Celtic was like £52 million and Ajax was about €53 million, Euros, something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, that raises a big question. Um, well, Acts the benefit of their academy and Celtic don't exactly haven't yeah. really produced quite so many players as good as Frankie de Jong. Sure. Um, this was years. listen. This was back to back defeats now for Kilmarnock. If for Celtic are looking at a new manager, do you think they'll look at Steve Clark, for instance? Do you think he will be at Kilmarnock next season? No, no, I don't think he'll be the next Celtic manager for a couple of reasons. One, he's sort of spoken out about unfortunately the problems of sectarianism still and if you're a Celtic manager you're going to get that abuse unfortunately even more than when he was at Kilmarnock two I think there was a style of play issue as we've said Kilmarnock are very good at what they do but what they do is largely seed possession even against teams in the bottom half of the league and whether that would translate to to being a Celtic manager, I'm not too totally sure. Agree with that. That, He's that, basically the Scottish Diego Simeone. That's his thing. But is that not perhaps maybe down to the playing budget that he has at his disposal? Yeah, probably. But he would win the league at Celtic as well. <laughs> yeah, and probably in a different way. And you could argue with that, you know, defensive organisation make them better, oh, yeah. to, harder to beat in Europe. Um, I think Clark, if he doesn't get the Scotland job, or if he can't be convinced to, to take the Scotland job, will go back to England and so. Celtic would have been crowned champions had Rangers failed to beat Aberdeen at Ibrox on Sunday but Stephen Gerrard's men got the job done thanks to two Tavernier penalties JJ, a lot of Aberdeen fans feeling they didn't get a rub of the green from referee Don Robertson Yeah, I mean it's the first penalty I I don't think is a penalty. So, really? yeah. well, yeah, well, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. So, I think the lads in the sports scene last night were saying that it's because there was a foul. Well, Stephen Thompson said it's not a, it's a penalty, but it sh- maybe shouldn't mean because Ferguson was fouled first. I don't think so. I think it's a bit of a stramash in the penalty area, so it's probably fine. But Ferguson sort of stands on catch's foot, but he keeps playing, and then he throws his foot out and goes down. So, the contact he got on his foot, sure enough, he stood in his foot, but that's not enough to take him down. That's just maybe a bit sore. But it's not stopped him playing. He's then just thrown himself to the floor. Do you know how it wasn't a penalty? And this is always a bugbear of mine, right? Look how enthusiastically Katic celebrates getting the penalty. Oh, yeah. I always find that like when a player goes down, gets the penalty, leaps back up and is like, yes, in front of the crowd. It's a, a sign that they've actually won it and conned the referee rather than the... But there's, yeah. there's, always, there's always this debate of, you know, if there's contact, and there is enough contact. No, but there's not. It's, there's contact. Cause he pe- clearly stands on his foot, though. That doesn't send him down, though. It's the, the contact. So he stands on his foot. Katic keeps going. Katic then... Must have heart. It doesn't matter. Like it, it, it's not hurting. Again, again he looked so hurt. He was like loving it in front of the Rangers. <laughs> yeah. Man. So Katic gets to stand on the foot, and then what he does is he puts his foot out as though um, it has come off his leg, and that makes him fall to the ground. And he gets up and celebrates. And mm-hmm. Joe Lewis goes straight up and says, "You like what are you playing at?" 
I see exactly why the referee thinks it's a penalty because it looks like it should be and it's been what I've been saying all season long the referees are given decisions for what they think should be a penalty and it looks like it might be even though it's not so it's we, hard so then we should talk about the second penalty then as well which is soft beyond belief I think this is more of a penalty because Quadstein's got his hand up and his hands are out clumsily you shouldn't have your hand up because then he's caught his face and he's gone down you see all these footballers now do this all the time sorry all the men footballers do this all the time like throw themselves around roll them out the floor none of this nonsense in the women's game by the way it's quite good fun to watch uh, but this is what happens so Quadstein's hand goes up in the penalty area penalty comes in he brushes Catch's head Catch then falls to the floor as though he's been elbowed in the face mm-hmm. it's not a penalty uh, Quadstein shouldn't have been booked for it Gerard also agreed that this shouldn't have been a penalty. Yeah, it's pretty gross. I think that says it all. And before even either of the penalties happened, should Rangers again have 10 men yeah. thanks to an ill-disciplined striker against Aberdeen? First, when I saw this at full speed, um, I thought, well, he's just he's just run into him there. He's just, his hands are up, he's trying to block. So, so just to be good, we're talking about um, Jermaine Defoe uh, going one-on-one with Joe Lewis, yeah. and it looks like... It's the most Defoe. bizarre thing. I've Joe ever Lewis seen is always like, getting the ball. It's always going to him. But I've never seen a striker sort of slightly overrun the ball. And normally you just see like striker jumps over the goalie and then it's done. But he like properly just goes and punches him in the face. He, yeah, he, actually, his right fist, he punches him in the face, the mouth. And I, when you see it the, first, the first time I saw it, I was like, well, there's nothing there. Because there's no way Jermaine Defoe is going to punch someone in the mouth. Oh my god! Uh-oh! What did he just do? <laughs> do you think he that did. Defoe has taken far too literally Gerard saying to him just go out there and do what Alfredo does? I wonder whether he's tr- trying to get sent off so he doesn't have to worry about playing for the rest of the season he can just go home. If he gets a three-match ban for punching him in the face he can like, well, I'm, o- I'm off now I might as well kill it for this, the rest of the season. But, it's so weird. Why is he punching? Like, what's he thinking? I, 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 Why I mean, is he doing I've, it? I've literally written that in the script so what is he thinking? <laughs> But um, listen, Rangers have been awarded 17 penalties this season and obviously 14 of those have been by Tavernier. And 14 of those aren't penalties. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think the referees are cheating at all. I don't think it's anyone's doing anything ill harm. I think Rangers players are being canny and going down the box like they did in Aberdeen there so they won their two penalties. But it's very odd that they're just getting so many. They have more of the ball a lot of the time, so it makes sense to get more opportunity to win penalties, but that's an astonishing amount, isn't it? Do you think, for instance, the Considine second yellow card, Yeah. do you think it's unfair that something like that, leading to a second yellow, it can't be overturned? Well, yeah, it is unfair. It's just, it happens in the game, and the thing is that these decisions affect the game you're in. And, I mean, in context, Aberdeen were horrible in this game and were set up just to try and hang on to a nil-nil and were never getting anything from it anywhere, and, like, unless they got a header from a set piece or something. But I, I, and I hope, Jesus, I hope that they're not playing the same way next season because it's awful to watch. But it's still two penalties that's the way Rangers have scored. They, they didn't score otherwise, and they probably weren't going to, and mm-hmm. that was the whole game plan. Mm-hmm. And then you're down to 10 men, and you've lost McLennan, the only natural wide player, is off with an injury early on in the game, so the game plan changes to just being, mark the hell out of these boys, don't let them go anywhere. Well, it looks like McLennan's out for the rest of the season as well. I mean, Aberdeen are going to finish third, it looks like. McInnes... You know, you can understand his post-match reaction was instantly to direct the attention to the second penalty. He says it That's was embarrassing. He doesn't normally do that, though. He normally kind of plays it quite straight and tries to be nice with the refs yeah. and says it hard. But well. Rangers now guaranteed second. Is this a good first season for Steven Gerrard in Scottish football? It's no, because he's done exactly, exactly as expected and probably a bit less. He's not in a single cup final. Yes and no. I would say he did better in Europe than expected. Oh, yeah, Europe. So except about Europe's good, yeah. Not as well as expected in the Cups and about average in the league. So I would say it's kind of an average first season. You can't say it's been a great success, particularly with the money they've spent. You can't say it's been a disaster. And next season's a real test because yeah. they have to try and stop the, the nine in a row. Mm-hmm. And given what we said previously about Celtic, depending on what summer they have, there is the opportunity there for Rangers to close the gap again if they invest well and build on... And what, because they're throwing away so many really stupid, stupid points. You've got to keep a core there. You can't just start like keeping losing players. You've got to buy two or three at the very most every season to get better in in staggers every single ooh, ooh, season. I think I think you say that they've dropped points because they've not been consistent enough. They've mm. won the last four games now, and that's been without Alfredo Morelos. So Morelos is back now, Big but will he be there in the summer? But also, I think what's important is that they've won the last four games, and that's largely been since the split. And mm-hmm. prior to the split, their record against the top six teams in the league was very, very poor. 
So at least that you know gives them a bit more encouragement heading into to next season as well. I think the, big, the biggest problem for Gerard, I think, is often what he says in the media, like what he said before this game about uh, Aberdeen try harder against Rangers than they do against Celtic, and they haven't laid a finger on Celtic uh, all season. Clearly forgetting the game two weeks ago where they had two men sent off for battering Celtic players. They have been uh, done by Celtic this season, to be fair. <laughs> and the, the, what he said about Aberdeen in the, the first day of the season came back to haunt him a bit as well, about how they outclassed Aberdeen and shown that they were such a better side yeah. than Aberdeen. And, and, and then, Aberdeen have knocked them out in well, two semi-finals. It's not particularly smart stuff this season. Exactly. Well, I, think, mm. I, I was thinking earlier, this is really ju- like very early to judge it, but I think if he were to leave Rangers and go to Liverpool... And all his Instagram posts, actually, of Stephen Gerrard are all about Liverpool. <laughs> he doesn't work for them now. He would work for Rangers, lad. He even got his, some of his fringe players to play against uh, under-23s yeah, Liverpool team the other day. he loves it so much. So when, so when everything, when he leaves Rangers and goes to Liverpool, if he was in charge of that Liverpool team now, they'd probably finish fifth, something like that. Mm. I don't. I have not seen anything in this team that is, shows a clear identity, clearly knows what he's doing. He's obviously learning. Um, it's a big club to be doing it. But uh, next season is what will make him as a manager. Well, as it stands, Celtic go to Pataudry in the early kickoff on Saturday, and that is where the title could be won. They only need a point. Yeah, Yeah. they'll beat Aberdeen. Aberdeen don't beat Celtic. Hello, podcasters. Are you hungry? I am. Well, actually, I always am. That's why I'm doing a new series called Out to Lunch with Jay Rayner, where I take interesting people to eat in a restaurant I reckon they'll like. I've spent my career interviewing over the dinner table. You just find that people relax more when they're being pelted with fine wines and being fed ample food. So in this first series, I'll be breaking bread with a whole bunch of people, including Richard E. Grant. Like a multiple rolling gastronomic orgasm. Mel C, Stanley Tucci, Tracy Ullman and Jamie Dornan. Out to lunch with Jay Rayner. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. You know you don't want to miss an episode. You're listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. McLean slips slightly, plays the ball back and gets it! level! Six minutes to play, and Uchi Ikpiansu wants you to know that he scored. Dragon Rights in Edinburgh are still up for grabs after Uchi Ikpiansu scored a late equaliser at Easter Road to rescue a point for Hearts. It's one win apiece and two draws in the four derbies this season. Hibs will be kicking themselves though, won't they? Did they Hibs it? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they, they certainly had the better of the play. Hearts in the past few weeks have very much just become Ikpia Zubal, which is <laughs> really good. Just <laughs> pull everyone back, depend on Berra and Suter to head things away, and then hoof it up to Ikpia and hope that he does something with it. Yeah, And they were, again, it wasn't happening for them until they brought on uh, Stephen McLean to play alongside Ikpia and at least then he had a pal up there to play with. Yeah, and also rugby tackle Lewis Stevenson near the end of the game as well. I don't know what was going on there. Well, Hearts just wanted to try and frustrate them, and it's not nice to watch at the moment. Hearts they're they're pretty much just kicking people and sitting deep and then launching it and then trying to get up the ball out of the park that way. You have players like uh, I can't remember who I was talking to. It was on the Twitters, but it was about um, how John Suter should be good at playing out from the back, and so his ball progression should be really high. It should be about him getting passes up the park, oh, yeah. take yeah. them forward. Right, and I think they were doing it early in the season, but now he is just kind of launching it. Basically, it, it's the problem of a Levine team as well. I think that he's been there, and in, in terms of being the manager, not just being back at the club for nearly two seasons now. And it is it has kind of regressed back to old style. It's really Levine, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I I think we said that last week. Actually, the start of the season, it was a lot of nice football, nice interchanges of play that we'd quite like to see. But yeah, I would agree with that. One thing they they have also. Well, this is it. They've they've got a lot of injuries on their plate as well. They had two seventeen-year-olds in the team yesterday. Injuries on a plate. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah, so you had um, Harry Cochran and Connor Smith, two seventeen-year-olds. That's what they're, you know, they're facing. And Levine said himself, "This is, you know, creating a bit more competition." But I, I quite liked reading up that Harry Cochran. I know he made his first start as a sixteen-year-old. He's now got thirty appearances in the first team for Hearts, which is. They, 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 they thought a lot of that group. There was a sort of four or five and there would probably be like the under 18s team mm-hmm. but they they're a really good crop that they were hoping were going to come through and really be the 
the bedrock of the team going forward in the the next few years. Mm-hmm. On Hibs, yeah, they'll be kicking themselves because they were ahead. They missed the penalty. They missed penalty, wasn't it? They missed the, the yeah. better chances. But I would say that it's still you know positive for them. Heckenbottom still hasn't been beaten in the league. They still have a chance of European qualification if uh, they can catch Kilmarnock and Celtic win the cup. Hibs are great. They're going to do really well next season. At the moment, I'd, I'd pit them for third straight away now if they can maybe improve a couple positions they've got. The problem is always which players stay, which players come in. I mean, uh, Omionga is only on loan, so he's going to be a big loss if they... Kimberi's hot and cold. He got hooked again this one here. At halftime, yeah. For yeah. Slivka, who came on and actually had a decent second half. Uh, Hearts, there's a, a bit of noise that Arnold Jun might be away in the summer, mm-hmm. possibly to... Well, the noise was earlier that he wanted more money and so Levine wasn't sure they could keep him at Hearts. But now apparently Aberdeen are interested and he might go there. Who could turn down Aberdeen? Well, Edinburgh's very nice. Like, the seagulls are massive in Aberdeen, so he could try and ride one, maybe, uh, to fly through the night sky. I don't know what else he'd want to move up there for other than more money. <laughs> um, and I don't know if Aberdeen could give him that. So it's a bit of a weird one. If you really don't see that Hearts could... Surely well, Hearts should be pushing for, for third. They should be up there. Well, that yeah, I, th- I think I think... You know that between second place and sixth, the, the competition is pretty strong. If we think Clark is going to leave Kilmarnock, you would think there'll be a big drop off there. Mm-hmm. So really, you're looking again at Hearts, Hibs, Aberdeen, who should all be much for muchness fighting for a third. Yeah, I mean Paul Heckingbottom's introduction to Scottish football has been pretty classy. I think his post-match interviews have been pretty good, but none better than this one at oh, the I weekend. Don't like it. You can't see, you can't see that. That's well, Neddy. Well, well, I, I, I would have, he would have broken his let, teeth. Let me get to a point. Right. He does say he would have taken the fourth official's teeth out if it was anywhere other than in so the football knocked, grounds. not taken, he was knocked. Oh, sorry, yeah. knocked. I agree. He's not, he's not a dentist. He yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, yeah he's not. <laughs> Hecking Bottom is not a dentist. Uh, he shouldn't be saying things like that, but it is interesting to hear a fourth official swearing at a manager. I like it. But swearing, what's that? He said, what's he done? How, and I how swear often a lot. do you think a manager swears at a fourth official yeah. in the course of a game? Exactly. I've, I've sat, I've sat <laughs> near a dugout's plenty. How many times have you seen a fourth official knock a manager's teeth out in retaliation? Oh, or man. threaten to. Like, he should be. I mean, he's not done anything other than. Verbally say he's going to. He wanted to assault someone. <laughs> as far as I'm aware of the law, I'm no lawyer, but I know you're not allowed to insinuate that you would. He was. Smash him he in was the mouth. seething though. You could tell it in his face. Well, I mean, it's just draw on the derby. They should probably have won it. They've lost with classic like Mourinho-style Levine ball, uh, defend all game, kick folk, and get a uh, get a draw out of it with a bad bit of defending in the end where Piazza gets that finish in. So, sure enough, he's he's riled up, but you can't then go. It's not cool. You can't just go and then say, "Then uh, I was annoyed with that assistant. I could have smashed his face." Like he thinks he's at school. He's like the hard man at school in the in the schoolyard. Hey, yeah, I was totally gonna smash him, but I didn't. So that bit in Blackadder when um, what's it? Prince George says, and it wasn't until some time later on I realised I should have said, "Oh, bugger off." <laughs> <laughs> From Partick to Peterhead, here's Neil White with what's going on in the Championship, League One and Two. Ross County got the formalities out of the way early on Friday night. They made their Championship win official by overpowering Queen of the South 4-0 in Dingwall. After his hat-trick last week, Brian Graham contributed two headed goals this time. County celebrated mission accomplished, but they still have a part to play in the story of the season at the other end of the table. If County don't party too hard this week and take anything from their trip to Falkirk on the last day of the league programme, the Bairns will play third-tier football for the first time since 1980. Falkirk lost 2-0 at Dundee United and would have been relegated there and then had Aloha not let slip a 1-0 lead and lost at home to Inverness, who scored twice in five minutes in the middle of the second half. That gives Falkirk the narrowest of escape tunnels. They have to beat the champions and hope Aloha lose a playoff bound air. If that happens, and only if that happens, Ray McKinnon's team will go into the playoffs with their championship status at stake. Aloha, meanwhile, can still be relegated automatically, enter the playoffs, or get out of this mess altogether. The two teams above them, Queen of the South and Partick Thistle, play each other on the final day, meaning a win at air will guarantee Aloha another season in the second tier. A point would be enough if Thistle win in Dumfries. The only way Thistle, who blew a 1-0 lead to lose at home to air, can end up in the playoff spot is if Aloha win 
and they lose to Queen of the South. Are you following all this? League One Montrose will play the ninth place team in the championship in the playoff semi-finals. They lost at Forfa, but East Fife could only draw at Stennis Muir, and that ends Darren Young's side's chances of promotion. That result also took Stenning off the foot of the table, a point ahead of Brecon, who lost 3-2 at Wraith Rovers, who will play Forfa in the promotion playoff semis. Brecon v Stennis Muir on Saturday becomes an elimination match. The loser goes down and a draw is good enough to keep Stenny in the playoff spot in League 2. Peter Head had the chance to win the title at home, but in the 93rd minute, one up, and with the PA guy queuing up the traditional 1-2 of Queen, followed by the Black Eyed Peas, 38-year-old Sterling Albion striker Peter McDonald broke up the party with the kind of close-range finish he built a career on. That opens the door for Clyde, 3-0 winners over Queen's Park. Peterhead are champions with a win against Queen's Park at Hampden. If they draw, Clyde need five at Cowdenbeath. And while all these issues are getting boiled down on Saturday, Cove Rangers and East Kilbride will work out which of them will play Berwick Rangers for a place in League 2. Cove won the first leg 2-1 away from home, but a stoppage time goal from Jamie Longworth of East Kilbride made the return far from a formality. Finally, John Sheeran, the Cove manager, missed that first leg after he suffered a heart attack the day after his team won their second successive Highland League title. He'll miss the second leg as he continues to recover at home. One of the stories of the season has just happened at the bottom of League 2. Albion Rovers lost their first 11 games of the campaign. They only had five points at Christmas, but on Saturday they secured survival with a game to spare. Neil Cameron from the Herald joins us on the podcast. Neil, you wrote an article last month called To Know Albion Rovers is to Love Albion Rovers. Tell us about your relationship with the club. <laughs> My relationship. Um, <laughs> about 800, when I started out, it was about 800 years ago. Um, the first club I really got to cover in a you know, on a, on a kind of regular basis was Albion Rovers, and it was pretty bleak. They were bottom of um, Division 2, as it was at the time. Couldn't win a game. I'm fairly sure they never scored a goal in all my, all my weeks and months there. But they were really, really nice to me. And I always kind of had a soft spot for them because of that. And they, they have struggled a lot over the years. And even when they had a bit of good fortune... You know, it seemed to be that then there was bad things happened almost right away. In fact, about 12 years ago, there was a break-in at the ground and, I mean, it nearly put them out of, nearly put them out of existence. That's how much hand-to-mouth they are. And I've just always had a real, I've had a real soft spot for the players because it must be difficult. There must be Saturdays when they think, why are we doing this? And certainly for the people that get involved because, OK, they're not, they're not the biggest club in the world, but, it eats up a lot of your time. It's a, I mean, it's a huge part of your life, and you're not getting money out of it. It's just for the love of uh, Albion Rovers. Now they're not the only, of course, club to do that. I don't know. I've just, I just think they're a great. Wee. I'm, I'm just glad they're still with us. What are the, uh, what are the sort of attendances like at the games? Is it well followed? <laughs> I mean, it's a few hundred, really. I mean, there are diehards, obviously, and I think they get. You know, I think there was a quite a few that went through to Berwick. On Saturday, but I mean, as a as a couple of hundred, I don't know if you've ever been to Clarendon Hill. It's God love it. It's seen better days, and even when it's better days, it's seen better days. <laughs> it's not changed for ages. But again, and that just appeals to the romantic romantic football fan in me. I like the old stand and the little mm. terrace in front of it, and all that kind of stuff. And it is the real hardcore that go because, as you can imagine, it would test anyone's face. And at the start, you say at the start of the season, you know, John Brogan. Uh, was there. He was just the wrong man for the job. John's a lovely man, and I thought that I'd say, nah, they're the good this time they've gone, and I don't fancy them in a playoff. Then they get Kevin in, and it took him a while, but I think I think the job he's done is phenomenal, really, absolutely phenomenal. You said there about Kevin's job. When they came in, they had four points from eleven games, yeah. and now kept them up. What does the future hold for Alvin Rovers think, going forward? Do you think it's going to be more struggles like this season? And as you say, if they were to drop out in the playoff, then would they ever come back into the big leagues? Well, that's it. Well, listen, that's the thing. I think clubs, I mean, if East Stirlingshire, they dropped out, was it two years ago now? Yeah. I'm not sure we'll ever see them again. And one of the reasons is a lot of the clubs that are, are for example, Cove Rangers, so it looks like Cove Rangers are going to be in the playoff. They've got more money 
mean, quite a few clubs in the bottom two leagues of Scottish senior football. That's just unquestionable. Mm. So they 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 are going to have a. I think they're going to see more and more new clubs over the next five, six, seven years. The future for Albion Rovers is probably more of the same, to be honest. I mean, I think it'd be interesting to see if they hang on to Kevin Harper. I spoke to Kevin when he got the job. You know, the only black manager in Scotland, uh, to our shame. And he, you know, he had a very good career down in England, up at Hibs, I'm sure we all remember. Wrote off to goodness knows how many clubs, never even got an interview. Some of them never even bothered to write back. You get one interview, Albion Rovers, they took a chance in them. And he's turned them around. I, I think it's. I think it's a real. It's a real heartwarming story. And I hope you know nothing against Albion Rovers. And I hope that you know if them and Kevin go into next season, I wish them all the luck. But I just wonder if someone else will have a wee look at what Kevin Harper's done and say, well, at that level of football, you need organisation. Just a bit, you know, just put a little bit into the players. A little bit of confidence that obviously wasn't there. And he's done that. You can tell he's done that because if he hadn't, they'd be way down just now. They'd be done and dusted. What would help him get to any sort of next level? I know, so they played uh, Celtic a couple of years ago in the cup, right? And that money, yeah, must... that's that, that that saved them. That that really kept them going. That that um, because as I said, earlier on, hand to mouth, yeah. So every so often they're looking for something like that because it's hard. I mean, it's hard down there because it's expensive to run a football club, even the smallest clubs. You know, just for just for everything. Um, so I wish them all the best in the world. How they're going to go on, I don't know because it's, you know, for a club like that, there's no like they've tried everything, and I mean everything to get more people in, and they just don't come. They just don't come. They're not the only club to do that. There's clubs in the Premier League such as Hamilton and St Johnson that have good problems like that. So I'll be the same people going to see them, and I just hope that this maybe. I hope this maybe just gives them a wee kick and maybe get some better players in because I think it's been difficult to recruit players because they don't want to get beat every week. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. It sounds like you fear for the club a little bit as well, then. Oh yeah, absolutely. I fear for sixty percent, maybe, of the uh-huh. clubs in the bottom two leagues in Scotland. You, you hear so many, you know, anecdotal tales of they, they are, they're just one check away from closing the doors and this club or that and this club or this. And I think as I mentioned earlier on, you know, the players at Cove, there's, there's Highland League clubs paying really serious good money if you're a part-time football player and in the juniors as well. And this pyramid system, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. And a lot of them, just listen, money, money is everything in football these days. And if you, put it this way, if you're a 22-year-old lad it was probably good for 20-odd goals a season. And you got a couple of part-time clubs chasing after you. And Albion Rovers can only pay you so much. And Cowden Beast can only pay you so much or whatever. But Cove Rangers are, you know, can pay you triple when they're on. Well, who would you join? The clubs such as Rovers and a few other ones. I mean, I do fear for them. I wish that, I mean, just because... This trickle-down economics people talk about was not trickling down to them from the very top, that's for sure. Here's the young substitute just on the park. A few seconds, it's Semple with it. Into Turnbull, off the park! And back in by David Turnbull! That will win it for Motherwell in the seven-goal thriller! In stoppage time on Saturday, bottom club Dundee were drawing while rivals St Mirren and Hamilton were losing. Unfortunately for Jim McIntyre, quite a lot happened after that. This game is the equivalent of when you, someone puts a bouncy castle up in the in the local village bit and all the kids just ramming into each other and <laughs> just go flying. It, there was no sense to it. It was just chaos, wasn't it? Yeah, um, nonsense. Nine defeats in a row thanks to David Turnbull's ninth goal of 2019, sealing a 4-3 win for 10-man When we spoke to Paddy Barkley a couple of weeks ago, he was saying about how it's the hope that kills you, but where does hope get you if you're a Dundee fan? And that was kind of pretty much encapsulated in this 90, I was going to say 90 minutes, but like 94 minutes. Because Motherwell kind of did everything they could to give Dundee a win. Mm. And they have nothing to play for. Some really terrible defending, got a man sent off, and yet Dundee just kept going, have another goal. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty mental. I mean, obviously, Alex Rodriguez Goran got sent off for a second yellow, a half an hour to go. So Jim McIntyre comes out and says, they blew it. Yeah, I mean, I've, even if they'd won, 
the chances are they would still have been going down that would have at least given them a tiny bit of hope and maybe prolonged the agony for another couple of weeks. On Motherwell and Turnbull, that boy can hit a ball. Oh, geez, that last goal where he hits the first one off the bar and then the the technique for the left foot. Well, well, yeah, he, hits, he hits the first strike with his right, right foot, foot yeah. and it hits, comes off the bar. And to have the composure to then half volley it on the left. That, and that is, is the class. definition of a half volley when it bounces up and it's coming up as you hit it. Yeah, but that, to me, honestly, the boy's got something really special. No player has scored more Premiership goals in 2019 than this lad. My God. So, yeah, he's he's just class. He's absolute class. Motherwell brought it through so many youth players. And I think, uh, is it Jamie Semple as well, who's made his debut for, for Motherwell? It was another young player that Stephen Robinson is bringing through. And they played some really nice football, I thought, in this game. Robinson saying he's he'll go for big money and, that, and that's the hope and he has uh, actually signed a contract which is huge for Motherwell because it you know, makes sure that he would go if he went this summer then mm-hmm. go for a, a, well, by Scottish Premiership standards a big fee whereas for example Hasty looks like he's gone to Rangers on a on a free which is a big blow I mean they'll get a development fee for him but um, it's a big blow for, for Motherwell I think it's, it's a sensible we've talked about this with Hasty before but I think it's a sensible decision for Turnbull's career especially if he stays another season He's going to play pretty much every game that he's, he's fit for. He's going to get that experience. He's going to score more goals based on what he's done this year so far uh, and could get himself a, a really good move. I mean, the issue is, I suppose, what is a really good move for him at, at this stage? If Hopefully he stays for another year. Could he get a lower Premier League club, more likely a championship club? Who knows? Who knows? But I think it's really important that we discuss um, the worst refereeing decision of the entire season. Are you going to uh, mention the Kasunga handball? Yes, which was given as a goal kick. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Although no, that that was it was a combined effort. The referee gave the penalty. Yeah, but he gave a penalty for the guy whose arm is already holding himself up, and the ball rolled off it. Yeah. He gave a penalty for it that originally. Came off Kasunga, yeah. uh, but he was saved by the linesman yeah. giving it as a goal kick because the ball had already gone out. But it hadn't gone out. It hadn't gone out. So the, both decisions were basically wrong. Yeah, it, it's awful. So first of all, they've gone like, oh, it's come off his hand. That has to be a handball then, according to the new Champions League rules. So I've got to give a penalty. Kasunga is lying on the floor and the ball comes off his arm. The fact that it's then given as a goal kick is astonishing to me because that's that's then denying the existence of arms. Of, of course it is. Of course it is. But there's enough in this game to enjoy the football rather than focus on the, oh, sure. the refereeing. When we talk about the relegation battle uh, of mediocrity between Dundee, Hamilton and uh, St Mirren, in a way, that's kind of helped Motherwell a bit and should do going forward next season as well, you would think, in that, yes, they'll probably have aspirations to get into the top six, but realistically, they're not expected to get into the top six and they're not expected to go down and there should be worse teams than them in, in the league, which does offer that little bit more freedom to play those young players and, and bring them through because there's not that sort of real pressure on them you know, battling to stay in the league. A six-goal thriller at New Douglas Park, or NDP, as JJ calls it. Livingston were seconds away from their first away win since August, before Aaron McGowan's 90th-minute equaliser rescued a point for Hamilton. Ackies were 2-0 up, then 3-2 down before it finished 3-all. We're joined now by Andy McGilvery from the Hamilton Advertiser. Andy, what's the mood of the fans right now, in terms of the club staying up? I think it's a bit mixed. I think a, a few people are quite optimistic and you get your usual kind of pessimism as well. I think overall, I think it's the case that most people think that there's a good chance they're going to stay up. And if you look at the league table, actually, basically anything other than a defeat on Saturday means that Dundee can't catch Hamilton and it's then only St. Martin that they have to try and try and avoid. But they've got a head-to-head coming up on uh, a, a week on Monday, which basically gives a situation where it's in Hamilton's hands. Dundee have conceded 74, Hamilton 73. Even if Hamilton stay up, that's got to be a worry for next season. I think it's just an inability to defend, to be honest. There's not really any way you can really kind of sugarcoat that one. They haven't defended well all season. They've conceded too many goals. Um, as you saw on Saturday, they went 2 nothing up, conceded 2-3 two and two and goals and nearly lost the game. And really, if you're scoring three goals at home, you need to be winning the game. And I think that's just basically where everything lies. I think they have to be more ruthless up front and create more chances. And I think they have to be a lot tighter in defence, which this season they haven't done. What do you make of the job Brian Rice has done? I think he's done a good job. Um, a, a few of the fans are pointing out they don't think that some of his substitutions are particularly wise and they think he's making mistakes. But that's always going to be the case in a first job. 
However, what I would say is that he took Hamilton up to Aberdeen and beat them. He beat St Johnson at home for the first time in a number of years. And I think overall his results have been pretty good. And he's got a number of points that he maybe wouldn't have got had he not come in. He's tried to attack in all the games and that maybe hasn't been the best idea at times. That you're going out all out attack, but at least he's trying to win the games. And I think the fans have, have, have responded to that. Um, I think the gates are slightly up and I think that's because he's playing attacking football and he's trying to win the games. Whereas before, I've got a lot of time for Martin Canning, but, but before Martin Canning was kind of trying not to lose the game. Pretty good day for Scott Pittman. He was involved in all three goals on his 150th appearance for Livingston. Scored two and got an assist for Stephen Lawless. It's funny that these like teams at Livingston have nothing really to play for at the end of this, this season, but they're still getting points off of... It shows you probably how bad the yeah, ones below them are. I was about to say, I think that says more for uh, especially Hamilton, Dundee, St Mirren than uh, necessarily the... Uh, although you know, it is fair play to, to Livingston that they're not on, on the beach already, given, I suppose, their beach as their uh, pitch. So sandy. <laughs> <laughs> Livingston have only That's got... That's a solid bit of banter right there. <laughs> Let's wrap that up and send it around. Uh, Livingston uh, saw only one win away from home in the league. Well, yeah. I think the good thing about this game is that Brian Rice has got Hamilton playing some football that is at least worth watching because now Hamilton fans get to see goals. Sometimes their own team scores them, which is much more entertaining mm. than what they've been used to for the majority of the season, especially in Martin Canning when it was a case of just defend and survive. <laughs> and I don't think it's fun at all watching football teams just try and survive. I know it makes sense and you want to make sure people stay in jobs, but the whole point of being a football fan is that sometimes you get to have a bit of fun. Having a bit of up and down is part of it. Particularly if you, you're going to be battling for survival, in theory you're not going to watch the highest quality football ever, so at least make it exciting. You know, at least have it being bad but fun rather than bad and boring. Mm-hmm. I mean, Hamilton were much the better team in this game. They're really unlucky to, to not even get a win. Well, they, were, they should have had more motivation, more determination to get a result out of it. But um, they're just not good enough. <laughs> like it's not. It's that's the the basic of it. I mean, you look at all of them: Hamilton, St. Mirren, and Dundee. All of them aren't good enough for the league at the moment. And so, whoever stays up, whoever's the bottom two, are going to end up going down. Well, would they? I don't know. The only, I don't know. The only thing is, and that's why I think this should definitely change. That because the championship clubs, so like third and fourth in the championship, would have to win three playoffs to go up. Mm. Second would have to win two. Why don't they just make it two semi-finals in the final, whereby the second bottom in the league, say, plays third in the championship, whatever, and second in the championship plays fourth, and then the two winners play each other in the final, and it cuts down the number of games and it makes it easier. I mean, the reason that the Premiership clubs don't go for it is because it makes it easier for the second Premiership club to go down. Mm-hmm. But if they deserve to go down, as in, as is the case this season, it's better for the overall quality of the league. I would just make the league 18 teams. Like but just think just how, how, how many really bad games you're going to get there then I'd, it would improve if anything I think the, how would go the they, other way and put, bring it down to 10 how, how would it improve JJ because it would be more fun to only have to play certain teams twice a season see you have to play Livingston twice not four times that's good because it's a bit of variety so you only get two chances to beat them that's more fun it makes for a more exciting league there are way too many clubs in Scotland for the size of the country <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. so you've got like we're talking about um, Albion Rovers so they're struggling to hang on now I'm not for a second suggesting that we should start merging all these clubs and getting rid of all the history that's been there mm-hmm. but um, history is old I guess the main reason we don't have more than 12 teams in the league is because it means that you don't play against Rangers or Celtic four times a season well, so you lose it's, money. It's more that Rangers and Celtic don't play each other four times. Yeah. Well, that's exactly that, exactly. yeah. So that for the, for the TV contracts and things like that. If we're talking just now about how many meaningless games basically there's been this season where Hamilton, Dundee and uh, St Mirren have just been thrashed, if you extend the league out to sort of four more teams in it, you're going to have like way more games where it's just a parade basically rather than if you actually reduce the size of the league you could have like more competitive games yeah but over time it wouldn't but I, th- I also think the other problem that we would have is you'd have maybe Celtic Rangers and Aberdeen perhaps going on a ridiculous run of wins and it just gets harder because I don't think there's enough consistency you know from fourth place down to just win constantly whereas I think Celtic Rangers and Aberdeen to an extent Probably would. I just so want I think to change, there, Andrew. There would just be there would just be an even bigger gap between the top three, four teams to everyone else. Although uh, I've heard the counter theory on that, like having interviewed um, 
players and managers that play for these teams in this league that one of the reasons that makes it harder for them to compete with Celtic and Rangers, say, is having to play them four times a season rather than just, say, twice. And that they struggle to get up any momentum because you can have, like, two or three games. You say you win three games in a row, but you're always only, like, four or five games away from playing Celtic or Rangers or Aberdeen if they're on a good run or Hibs and Hearts or whatever. Whereas if you a longer stretch between playing the best teams in the league, it allows them to build up a bit well, of momentum. Especially if you get them in the cup, like when St Johnston had Celtic four yeah, times exactly, yeah. in the space of five weeks. It means you just and, you and it them ruined, out, it ruined yeah. their run. Any league in the world where you have teams playing each other loads of times in a row, you just get too familiar and the games grind out into boring mm. draws and it's one mistake makes a difference. Whereas as, it could be different if you got As Man City Tottenham showed us. Exactly. <laughs> well, speaking of St Johnston, St Mirren won, St Johnston won. There was late drama in Paisley as Danny Mullen popped up with a pinger for the second week in a row. His 90th minute strike securing a point for St Mirren. St Mirren taking eight points from the last 15 available. They're back. Well, what I was saying about... Hold on, wait a minute. They've arrived. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, well taken. Um, St Mirren, are the team down at the bottom, who are showing the most fight and the most uh, likely to be able to get out of it if they had more games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would say, given the way the league is at the moment, their second bottom, they're probably the team most likely to be able to fend off a playoff. You reckon? Think. If it was Dundee United or even an oh, Inverness? No, but if we're comparing, it to, comparing them to, say, Hamilton... Who would you fancy okay. more? Against the Dundee United or an Inverness, whatever, I would fancy St Mirren's chances more than Hamilton, but I would still, at the moment, fancy Dundee United, say, ahead of them. Yeah, I, t- I think Hamilton would get done, and I think St Mirren would win the playoff. From Interesting. what I've seen of them. Producer Charlie has um, produced a weird stat. I like this. Chris Kane has scored three Premiership goals this season for St Johnston. He scored on the 27th of February... The 27th of March and now the 27th of April. Two of those three goals came against St Mirren as well. Unfortunately, the season ends before the 27th of May. <laughs> God damn it, King! No, come that's on! Because if he did, that's that's how the world ends. If he scores four months in a row on that date. Uh, I hope the world doesn't end on the 27th of May. Game of Thrones. And that spoiler. means we run out of things to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's it from us. We'll be back next Monday, we hope, after Aberdeen v Celtic and Dundee v Hamilton. Bye. I hope the world doesn't end. (laughs) You've been listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and be sure to check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audio Boom and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. (laughs) 